Okay. Hey guys, welcome to Spirit Pig. This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. I'm Duncan CJ and today I'm speaking with Tim Kasser. Uh, after receiving his PhD in 1994, Tim became the professor of psychology at Knox College in Illinois. He's the author of numerous books and scientific papers on materialism, values and well-being, including the titles The High Price of Materialism and Psychology and Consumer Culture. He was a featured expert in the 2011 documentary Happy, as well as the recent film The True Cost, which explores the impact the fashion industry has on people and the planet. And he's also a very keen activist working to stop the commercialization of children. Tim, thank you so much for being here. I'm really looking forward to this. Thanks for inviting me. Now, I, I'm, I'm cautious. I don't want to ask you too many questions, which you've had to like say a thousand times. But just so everyone's on the same page some things we're going to be talking about is this idea of like materialistic goals and intrinsic goals just yes to get us all up to scratch like what are the difference between those two sure well let's start by what a value or a goal is okay so what values and goals are the things that we're striving for in life the things that we find important the kind of stuff we're trying to make happen in life okay and uh they help us decide what to do in life what behaviors to engage in how we feel about different political candidates or different kinds of clothes or whatever it might be right so uh the work that we've been doing for more than 20 years now has made a distinction about the content of people's values and goals and so we we distinguish between what we call extrinsic materialistic goals and intrinsic goals. So those materialistic extrinsic goals are the ones that are by and large encouraged by consumer culture. So they're things like trying to have a lot of money, trying to have uh, the right image, trying to be popular and high status. And we call those extrinsic goals because they're focused on external rewards. They're focused on getting money, getting the gold star in school, having other people say, oh, don't you look great or whatever. And we contrast those with the intrinsic goals. And intrinsic goals are goals that are inherently satisfying to pursue. So they're goals like your own personal growth or connecting with the community, having close interpersonal relationships. And uh, there's a lot of different research, if you want to talk about, we could, that shows that there's a fundamental kind of tension between these intrinsic and extrinsic goals um, and that they, they sort of operate in opposition to each other. Yeah, it was interesting because when, when researching this and researching some of your, like, your work and the findings, like, over what, how you said, like, 20, 25 years, like, when people prioritize materialistic goals at a much greater degree than intrinsic goals, weren't there, like, three consistent findings, sets of findings, which just come up again and again and again, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah. So, and it's just to be clear though, it's not always that if they prioritize it a lot more than the intrinsic goals, even if they kind of lean more towards the materialistic goals than those intrinsic goals, we see these three kinds of problems. So the first set of problems has to do with personal well-being. And that's what I was doing research on back when I did my dissertation oh so many years ago. And, you know, what we found over and over in a couple hundred studies by now, researchers have demonstrated that when people prioritize materialistic values for money, image, and status, they report that they're less happy, less satisfied with their lives, uh, feel less vital, uh, experience fewer positive emotions like joy and contentment, um, and they're also more depressed, more anxious, more likely to use uh, substances like alcohol and cigarettes, etc. So the well-being outcomes are the first set of problems associated with materialistic values. The second one that we started looking at kind of next were 
uh, social uh, behaviors. So what we started to see was that people who were more materialistic had uh, shorter, more conflictual relationships with other people, and they treated other people in sort of a more competitive way, a more Machiavellian kind of manipulative way, um, instead of sort of a warm and nurturant way. And then the the third set of outcomes that uh, we started looking at about in 2005 or so were ecological outcomes. So we uh, showed and other researchers have now shown that when people focus on those materialistic values, they tend to care less about uh, sustainability of the Earth's limited resources, and they tend to behave in ways that use up more of Earth's limited resources. So they live in bigger houses, they fly you know, far away on vacation, uh, they eat a lot of meat or out-of-season vegetables, etc. So uh, what we're finding is that materialistic values are not only bad for kind of people's own well-being, they're kind of bad for civil society, and they're also bad for the planet. And it's what well, I think is interesting that it's like, even though like knowing some of those things, it kind of feels like, okay, that kind of makes sense, you know, but then actually now there's sort of, there's so much science and research and data actually backing up, which may be something which we kind of thought we knew, but actually it's kind of empirical like truth black and white now isn't it it's exactly right you know i mean to be honest people have been saying this for thousands of years i mean you go back to the ancient philosophers in china and india or you look at what jesus or the buddha had to say um and and Muhammad, I mean, pretty much you see the same sort of message over and over again in a lot of religious and philosophical thinkers. Um, you know, what's happened over the last 25 years, you know, both from my work, but also from other scholars' work, has been to, you know, lend some empirical credence to those ideas, but I think also suggest some new things. You know, I don't think Jesus had a lot to say about how materialism hurts, hurts Earth's sustainability, for example. Um, you know, and I also, you know, I think that uh, our work has been able to sort out some of the pathways by which materialism leads to lower well-being and and other kinds of things too yeah one one way that you described it was like this um picture which made it really easy was like in terms of you're talking about sort of that balance shift you know when it was almost like a seesaw isn't it so if you're focusing on whatever like the materialistic things then one thing has to give so it's almost like that seesaw you can't have them like both you know be really focused on that if, if they're, they're opposites or something like that? Yeah, that's right. I mean, so another way, another analogy I use a lot is that if you think about all your values as being a big pie and each slice of the pie is a different value, right? So you have a spirituality slice, you have a family slice, you have a hedonism slice, you have a materialism slice, and everybody's got a slice of each of the pie, okay? What we find, though, is that, of course, as one piece of the pie gets bigger, some other pieces have to get smaller, okay? And what the research demonstrates, and this is the seesaw effect, is that um, it's not random which values will get smaller as materialistic values get bigger, okay? It's not a random thing, okay? As materialism becomes more and more important, you're going to see image and popularity become more and more important, and you're going to see those intrinsic values shrink, But the opposite is also true. As people focus more and more on those intrinsic values for their own growth and for connections to family and community, as that slice gets bigger and bigger, the materialistic slice tends to shrink. I think that's quite – yeah, I mean, on on, on one hand, if if you know that you're focusing on the wrong things, it's like, oh, scary. But like you said, on the flip side, we're in control. We can choose to focus on those things, those intrinsic things. So actually, I think that's quite an empowering thought, actually. 
Yeah, I think it is too. You know, and 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 I want to really emphasize that all of us have all of these values. Okay, you know, so there. I know that I'm materialistic some days, and I've been studying the problems with it for twenty some years. But um, but the question becomes, you know, what do you do when those materialistic values get activated in you? How do you behave, and how do you really organize your whole life in order to decrease how much time you're sort of spending in that part of your value system, and how much time and increase how much time you're spending in the intrinsic part of your value system mm. when you look at america or say the uk like how do their values differ when compared to say scandinavian nations Sure. So we've done some research on that and uh, prim- primarily with a predictor variable or trying to understand it from the viewpoint of capitalism. So I mentioned a little bit about consumer society, but, you know, consumerism is really the cousin of capitalism, right? And so, you know, the, the goal of capitalism is to make a lot of profit, increase economic growth, keep corporations running as well as possible, et cetera. And that depends upon people uh, spending a lot of money by and large. And so, but there are different varieties of capitalism. So in the same way that there's different kinds of Christianity, right? There's, you know, Orthodox Christianity and Evangelical Christianity and sort of New Age Christianity. There's different kinds of capitalism too, okay? So there's, um, and the main tra- the main sort of distinction at the extreme ends is between an Anglo form of capitalism, which is common in the U.S., the U.K., Australia, that's very deregulated, very free market, very neoliberal in the way that it approaches things. And then a more Scandinavian sort of social democratic way, um, what sometimes is called a strategic form of capitalism or a cooperative form of capitalism, where it's still capitalism, but there's a lot more regulation of how business works. There's a lot more efforts to make sure that employees have rights, um, etc. And there are two studies now that have looked at measures of how deregulated versus or sort of deregulated neoliberal um, a country is versus how strategic and coordinated it is and then looked at the citizens' values. And what we see is that as you move towards the U.S.-U.K. form of capitalism, the um, extrinsic values go up and the intrinsic values go down. That is, compared to their Scandinavian counterparts, people in places like the U.S., U.K., Canada um, tend to focus more on materialistic values for power, status, money, and they tend to focus less on intrinsic values for helping the world be a better place, sustainability, etc. So it's very clear, you know, and, and the way I look at it is, you know, a, a, Capitalism's like any other social system. It requires people to believe certain things in order for it to keep working, right? Um, if Christianity is only going to survive if people keep believing that there's one God and Jesus was his son, etc. Capitalism's only going to keep working if people believe it's important to make a lot of money and buy a lot of stuff and invest it in the stock market. So the more extreme form of capitalism you have, that socializes people into this belief system about what's important and shifts people towards those extrinsic values. But because the way the value system is set up, that's going to mean a decrease, that seesaw effect, it's going to mean a decrease in people's intrinsic values. So interesting. And rather than often like, uh, I don't know, rather than I sort of point fingers and say like, you guys shouldn't be so materialistic, it's often worth understanding actually why people prioritize materialistic values. You know, studies have shown, you said how... um, uh, people focus more materialistic things when they feel, for example, insecure. Yes, and so when absolutely. I heard that, it immediately made me think, actually, I think that sort of by realizing actually the reason why behind it, actually increased sort of empathy for that, you know, and 
Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, I mean, what we find is we've done a variety of different studies that show that when people are feeling threatened, they orient towards materialistic values and, again, away from those intrinsic values, okay, that shift in the whole value system set up. And, and yeah, I do think, you know, it's it's in a way it's sad, right? You know, in a way it's sad that uh, we ha- live in a system where um, people are oftentimes exposed to threats, right? You know, and those threats are going to kind of of pull on them in a certain direction, which leads them toward to be more materialistic. But as you said before, you know, we certainly don't have perfect freedom over everything we do. But as humans, we we do have you know something up here that uh, allows us to to make better choices sometimes. So it's not an automatic thing, okay? You know, or it's not um I should say a necessary thing. It might be automatic. It might be how people tend to go. But it's the kind of thing where you can say, oh, this is how I'm reacting uh, to this threat, I'm feeling the urge to go buy something, you know, or whatever it is, and then to stop and say, what would be a better way to deal with my feelings of threat right now? You know, rather than adding to my credit card debt by buying something I don't really need, are there better ways to to f- start to feel more secure, like calling up a friend or going for a walk or playing, you know, an instrument or something like that? Yeah. In the last few years, there's been a sort of, uh, in, in the US, and there's been this sort of decriminalization of like marijuana, there's been the legalization of gay marriage. So it shows that huge, you know, big changes can be made. Does this, does this make you hopeful that the same can be done here? Or I know, is all your research showing that actually, I don't know, we're in too deep and actually it's like, it's such a big daunting task. Well, you know, at one level, it does give me hope um, that that changes can be made. On the other hand, decriminalization of marijuana, there's a lot of companies making a lot of money off of that. Legalization of gay marriage, there's a lot of people making money off of gay people getting married and having big weddings right now. So both of those are changes that actually lead to economic growth at some level. Okay, so if you're not if you're not putting those prisoners in jail anymore, and you're making buck off of uh, off of selling marijuana, and you're taxing it, okay, that's actually contributing to capitalistic growth. The same with with gay marriage, and so um, you know, at one level, it's really great to see how I think in both of those cases there were kind of grassroots movements building up, you know, that eventually emerged onto the federal level at the U.S. you know for the U.S. and and there's there's been big changes but they were consistent with the economic system that's my point okay the kinds of things that um, I write a lot about oftentimes are not very good for economic growth as we can conceive of it right now and are direct challenges to the capitalistic economic system and so um, so on that in, in that way I think it's a much bigger challenge I, I don't mean to take anything away from people who've, who've worked to attain gay marriage okay I think you know fantastic I know it took lots and lots of work and I'm, I was very supportive all the way along uh, for that. I think this is even a, a bigger ask, though, okay, because you're talking about something that's fundamental to the way our economic, political, and social systems are all set up. That said, I also see more and more um, trends, you know, in the business world and uh, what people are talking about at the governmental level, um, especially at local government levels. Um, I see more sort of, um, you know, itching for, for change. 
Uh, I've noticed that since the Occupy movement and since the 2008 financial crisis, it's actually much easier to say the word capitalism uh, to people, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and for a lot, it was very difficult to criticize capitalism for many years, you know, immediately. What are you, some kind of communist? But since the 2008 um, financial crisis and since the Occupy movement, I think you're, you've seen a space open up where people are more willing to talk about the problems of capitalism and, and call them the problems of capitalism, right? And so I think that there, there is a space opening up. I think there is um, – there are a lot of promising trends. Why? Well, because what for years and years was this idea of what the American dream and you, you can't say anything bad about that idea. But now people actually are realizing, wait a sec, there might be actually – it's it's not it's not such a perfect system. Exactly. I think that's what it is. I think that and I think it goes back actually to a lot of the Cold War, you know. So after after World War II, uh the United States and Russia are the two remaining superpowers with very different and at odds ideas about what a good economic system was, right? And what a good social and political system was. And, you know, and and so for a long time in this country, you know, you had the McCarthy scares of the 50s and early 60s and all of the rest. And it and in then the 80s, you know, with Reagan, who was very virulent anti-communist, right? So, you know, the, that whole Cold War mentality that capitalism was the system of freedom, the system of democracy, the system that allowed for everything wonderful that there ever could be, all right? And communism was bad in every single respect. And, you know, you have that kind of us-them mentality or that sort of zealotry in anything, and it's very difficult to talk to someone about, well, you know, cap like capitalism does have some strengths, don't get me wrong. Okay, I've critiqued it as much as anybody just about. It has some strengths, but it has some weaknesses, and we need to talk about those weaknesses too. And we need to try to make some adjustments to the system in order to decrease the likelihood that it's harming people, harming children, harming the planet, harming other species, harming future generations, all of which it does. Um, and so we need to find a, a, the next system, um, as some people say. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've I've been one thing that I think's uh I think maybe like I'm yeah I'm I think I'm optimistic by nature, but then sometimes it's just like when when you suddenly I try, I try to avoid the news anyway, but I mean it's just I mean sometimes things do seem like so bleak. But then one thing I've I've, I've loved is and I mentioned a couple of those documentaries like when a power of like a really great film or TED talk or or anything the power of like a story well told can have that can be a seed for such like massive change and i've seen it on just on so many different times in in sort of in different niches you know whether it's sort of um well, i don't know as in I, i'm obsessed with documentaries so i've been watching them but that, that gives me um that gives me hope i definitely because um I, i've seen you know when there's enough people behind an idea like amazing things can happen i think that's right i think that's right but the idea by itself has to get the people behind it right and the people behind the idea have to be able to work to make the idea concrete in this world right and by concrete i mean they need to put it into the practices of business and the practices of government and the practices of their own lives right and and figure out ways to to, to live it, you know, to make the ideal re idea real here in this world uh, so that people can can be in it and um, and act through it. Um, and I think that's that's the really difficult part. And that's the thing, you know, the thing I always think is that, you know, it took the abolitionists in the United States 
100, 150 years to get rid of slavery. And we're still dealing with civil rights stuff, as is obvious from Black Lives Matter and all of the terrible things that are still going on with regard to race in our nation. So these things take a long time. Right. You know, they they take a long time. They take persistence. They take, um, you know, leaders and who are willing to devote their lives to it and all of the rest. And so I think that's um, that's what has to happen. Yeah. And what choices? Because obviously you've 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 studied a lot of these things and you have you know, you know, it a lot of stuff intellectually. But I know that you also try and like live these principles. Like how, how do you have you kind of put some of these things into your own life? Sure. Well, you know, I'm imperfect with regard to that, but I've I've certainly tried to make a lot of changes over the years. Uh, you know, one of the first things I would say I do is that both my wife and I um, earn and work less than we could. Um, so for most of our kids' childhood, my wife worked 30 weeks a year, 20 hours a week, um, so that she could be with, uh, you know, at home more with the kids. Um, I have worked either two-thirds or three-quarters time for my college, um, pretty much my whole career here at Knox College. They've been kind enough to support that, but I take a pay cut too. Um, so I only get two thirds or three quarters of my salary. Um, but it's, it's so that I can have more time to be with my family, to do activism, to play the piano and be out in the garden and stuff like that. So that's one thing uh, we've, we've definitely done. Uh, a second thing we've done is you know, we've been very careful about how we spend and invest our money. Um, so we were very careful to buy a home we could afford on just one salary um, so that we didn't have to go into a lot of debt. And so we could pay off our debt and be debt free, which we are now. I have no debt. Um, I have two kids in college, but I have no debt. Um, you know, and uh, we're very careful about how all of our investments, uh, what they're in, you know, to make sure that those investments reflect our intrinsic values. So, you know, practice socially responsible investing. Um, you know, I think our career choices um, both reflect that. You know, my wife's a clinical psychologist. She's trying to help people who are anxious and depressed or have learning disorders. And I'm teaching, you know, and trying to write and do things like that. So I try to, you know, enact what I believe in and what I value through through my job um, and through, you know, activism. So until, you know, I have sat on two boards of not-for-profits. I've widely consulted with the World Wildlife Fund and places like that to, to try to bring these ideas into the activist community and help activists be, you know, think like psychologists, I guess, and uh, hopefully be more successful in their work. Um, and I think, you know, I, I try... I, I try to do stuff that's fun and that's meaningful. You know, I mean, I play the piano every day. You know, we live on 10 acres of land and we grow a lot of our own food and, you know, have chickens for eggs and we're vegetarian, you know, so, um, you know, practice that kind of a lifestyle too. So, you know, I think those are some of the most important things that my family and I have done. Cause yeah, because you, you, you encourage people to ask themselves that question, like, you know, is my life set up in a way that actually reflects what I believe is most important? Rather Absolutely. than, I guess going through life maybe um just almost on autopilot when you're like oh shit like you're you're kind of you're living somewhere which you didn't necessarily choose you're hanging out places you're doing stuff where you just you go through the motions but actually to take that time like is my life set up in a way that actually reflects what i believe is most important yeah absolutely i mean that's really well put excuse me <coughs> because 
I think when I wrote the high price of materialism uh, back in like ninety nine two thousand when when I when I was writing it, I think back then I really believed that the answer was to decrease how materialistic people were, and that that was really the solution. And you know, and I still believe that. You know, I still don't watch television, commercial television. I still do everything I can to keep ads out of my life because um, I don't need that temptation. And that gets at this second issue. I think, you know, nowadays, though, I think really this, the, the answer is how do I figure out how to live my intrinsic values, you know, and how do, can I work to change society so that it enacts intrinsic values, right? Um, and, and to take the focus less off of kind of the negative of decreasing my materialistic values. That needs to happen too, okay? But but the real question is, how can I move towards intrinsic values? And the other thing I've really kind of come to think over the years is that intrinsic values in a lot of respects are pretty fragile, I think. You know, I think they're a fundamental motivation to being human, but so are those extrinsic values. That's another pretty fundamental motivation to being human. And I think a lot of it's our primate nature. And I think there's something about us that gets really easily distracted by money and image and status. And I think there's, you know, the findings that threat moves us towards those values is another piece of evidence supporting that. You know, why is it that when we're threatened, we, you know, don't think, oh, Here's would be this better thing to do, but instead we're like, oh, give me something, right? You know, or, you know, there's a really famous study in psychology that shows that if you have people who are doing something fun and then you give them some money, they stop doing it, okay? They don't want to do that thing that they were doing for fun anymore. Well, why is that? It, it must be that that intrinsic motivation to do something just for the fun of it is actually kind of fragile because you give somebody money and they don't want to do it for fun anymore, right? So, so it's a really hard task to be able to, to kind of keep those intrinsic values in front of you because I think there's a lot of pulls to move towards the extrinsic values. And those pulls are enhanced by living in a consumer capitalist society where you get 3,000 com commercial messages a day and where politicians are always saying it's about economic growth and all these kinds of things, you know, and where your peers are buying new stuff all the time and telling you about it. You know, there's a lot of things to pull you that direction. So you have to be very intentional, very mindful, very systematic about trying to move in that intrinsic way, I think, um, and in trying to set up an environment for yourself that makes it easier to be that way. What does a fulfilled life mean to you? Well, fulfilled isn't going to come surprise to anybody who's just been listening, but you know, I think for me, a fulfilled life is about being able to successfully pursue those intrinsic values, you know, that I've been able to grow as a person, you know, and change as a person and become kind of who I am, um, that I have good relationships with my family and friends, and that I've contributed to something bigger than me, you know, that it's not just about, you know, my little interests or my little things, but that I'm trying to work to help the world be a better place. You know, I think all of those things together um, are what's needed to to have a fulfilled life. And this next question, we, we had a little chat about this earlier, and I know I, I, I'm keen to hear your answer because I know that there's there's some holes in this one. But like, if I was to say, what is one thing our listeners can do today that will have a big impact on their lives? Like, what 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 springs to mind when you say that? <laughs> so we did have this email conversation, and in your email you said massive effect, not big effect. I know too. I toned it down, massive. Well, <laughs> but massive's bigger than big. Um, 
I don't think that there is any one thing you can do to have a massive effect on your life today. I don't believe that, okay? It's too hard, all right? You know, I was trained as a clinician. My wife's a clinician. Changing one's behavior is extremely difficult, okay? Changing one's thoughts is very difficult. They're in there. They're coded in your neurons, okay? You know, and so to do something new and different is a real challenge. And so the idea that we can do one thing that will have a big impact right away, I think is completely unrealistic. No offense. Nice. But I think it's really unrealistic. And and I think that a better strategy is to think, what are several things I can do and slowly bring into my life day after day, week after week, month after month, which over time are going to lead to a big impact. I think that's really, to me, that if it were my show, that's the question, okay? And, and again, I think, because I think that's what people actually can do, all right? And I think if people make one big change, it won't last very long, yeah. all right? Um, you know, but if you, if you every day ask yourself, Am I, did I live my intrinsic values very well today? And how didn't I? And in the cases when I didn't, why was that? All right. You know, why did I go in that other way, which really actually wasn't all that satisfying? And what can I do next week when I'm stuck in that situation again so that I act differently next time and get something more satisfying for myself? That's a long process. It's a hard process. Um, but I think it's the process which ultimately leads to long-lasting change. So if I had to say one thing, I would say the one thing is keep asking yourself, how can I enact, how can I behave, how can I set up my life around my intrinsic values better today than I did yesterday? Well said. <laughs> and last but not least, how can people find out more about you and your work? Sure. Well, if you just do some kind of an internet search and you put in Tim Kasser, and that's Tim, K-A-S-S-E-R, and uh, I'll pop up. There's a, a YouTube video that many people might find really interesting. It's an animated video where I'm narrating and then somebody's drawing along. It's only about five minutes long, but it's a, a good way to get a real brief overview of some of my work. And then um, I, I think that's probably the best place for a lot of people to start. Amazing. I will actually, I, I watched that video already and it's fantastic. So I will, if everyone goes to uh, spiritpig.com, I will have that link to the YouTube video straight underneath this interview. Tim, thank you so much. It's been fascinating talking to you today. You bet. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Catch you soon. Bye. All right. Bye. 